Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! production meeting and uh we're trying to figure out what to talk about you've had a busy week so you haven't been able to like to watch anything and i'm basically like watching everything because i have nothing to do. <laughs> so but i don't really it sucks when i talk about we started that where you were watching different things and i was watching yeah yeah, yeah. we're not gonna we're not gonna beat that over the head so yeah it does it does stink and i'm sorry you know, it's usually the other way around where I, I, you're the one who's busy, but yeah. So I was even, I was supposed to be working today and, um, I'm, I got my guess is it's the weather. It was like an outdoor job in Malibu. We'd been working on that. They uh, were like, yeah, you're last night. They were like, yeah, we're not, um, we're not going to bring you back, but you're going to get paid because you were booked, which is nice. Yeah. That's always, that's always a good time. So I'm pretty sure the reason they did that is, I mean, whatever, this is, it was multiple commercials. So they have to pay us for the multiple commercials yeah, for just yesterday, you know? Yeah. That's my guess. And that, so today they're like, all right, well, if we don't really need them, let's not go through the hassle of doing all of this. And then they're already, you know, we'll just tell them we're paying them, but they were already getting paid because it was two spots anyway, whatever. I don't care. It's nice because the reason I've been working so hard, well, so hard, we're, we're working so much is because <clears throat> I lost my health insurance last year and um, I have covered California now, which is fine, but uh, because my union sucks donkey balls, they like changed everything and put everybody out. And so um, I am... <laughs> As of last night, now there's numbers, there's a lot of wiggle room for, you know, here, but as of last night, I'm $113 away from making my benefits this year. Oh, okay. So then you'll, uh, you'll get it. Hopefully. Yeah. I need like one more day. I mean, I don't even know, you know I mean? This is all, there's a guesstimate. There's a large, um, margin of error. So, you know, but part of the problem is it has to be processed before the end of the year, which means this is pretty much the cutoff is this week. 
yeah. most likely. But you can argue if if you're like, hey, look, I work this day. You know, I I don't know. It's, it's gonna it's not gonna go easy, but we'll we'll get there. And if it's not, if I don't get there by January first, I'll get there by the end of first quarter. So, look, these people who I work with were awesome. They just one day they were just sort of like. Hey, I heard that you're close to making your benefits and we would really like to help you do that. So here's like eight of 10 days of work, including like weekends and everything. And you should go, can I get an extra 115 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, and I was just like, they were like, Hey, do you want to, would you mind driving up to St. Louis Obispo for a job? And I was like, Nope, I'll do it. Should be like, listen, I'll pay you $115 if you just report $115. Well, as the other thing is I could just now I could just do my thing where I make a short film and pay myself $115. And it'll really only cost me two hundred total. Probably shouldn't say that out loud, but uh Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, listen, if I don't hear from the uh, I have no idea because I don't know, whatever. So you're um, you got a big uh, day to get your uh, Christmas ornaments and tree. Yeah, doing that. So now I'm going to do all that stuff today because we were expecting that I was going to be in Malibu all day. So now uh, try to use that time. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's really what's going on here. It's really boring. Like really. I've heard lots of great stories on the road, though. I will tell you. I, so you were asking about our pre-production thing. Uh, what I what I've seen the one the one thing that I was just watching before we did this because I also was telling you I'm, I started training for a marathon, which I'll check in on this show to let you know if I'm still doing it each week because <laughs> it's hard. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I when I got sick last year, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do that. Like that's something I want to try to do, uh, to kind of show that I'm like over being sick. But I have to go see like my cardiologist tomorrow and make sure it's all good. Again, super exciting stuff. Um, but while I was running, I I decided to start watching. You know, if I go to the gym, I'll put on a TV show so I can kind of try to kill two birds with one stone now. And so I was watching this 2020 from last week that someone had told me about do you watch 2020 anymore no have you heard the story about the family with like 14 kids that were all like locked up in a house uh i mean i know that story from okay from the news but yeah i haven't seen the 2020 i didn't know anything about it and i'm like watching the interview with the with the girl that like got out yeah um, yeah. did it it's all it's like so riveting like, I'm just, like, so impressed. It's crazy. Because they're like, go find us. You know, they have, like, the 911 call. They're playing it. And they're like, go find a street sign so you can tell us where you're at. And she's like, uh, I, I don't know what that is. Oh, there's a stop sign. And they're like, all right, hang out by the stop sign. And, like, look up. Is there anything other on top? You know, like. Yeah, because she's never been out. Yeah, it was, uh, and then I guys descend. So you look at the interview. She's like, she looks like she could be like one of the Hadid sisters. All right, I gotta check out the uh, 2020. Is it on like Hulu or something? Yeah, yeah, if you go on Hulu, you can watch it. It's like, 
Uh, and then they have like, you know, they're interviewing the cop who came and saved her and they're interviewing like, uh, it just kind of goes through the whole history of this family and how it got here. Did you happen to see the, um, Alec Baldwin one? The- I didn't see it. I read it and it was so, okay. Again, tales from the road. I wound up, uh, working with this guy yesterday who I know pretty well, who's an armorer. And he knows, like, all the people involved in all of this. Well, he knows, like, a lot of them. And he's uh, he's a former cop. You know, he's, like, a, he's a hard-ass kind of guy. Um, you've probably, you've met him. You know, he used to date, remember Carrie from um, down in the South Bay? She's, like, uh, Indian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she dated him for a while. So you might have met him through her at some point. Okay. Uh, anyway, he's like a former, he's like a former cop, like armorer. He used to be on like Baywatch. He's like a total, I like him, but he's a total me dad, you know? Yeah. But he's, um, yeah, he was kind of going through, he thinks he like, it's since he's like blaming Alec Baldwin for a lot of it. And it's like, the guy doesn't make it easy to defend him when he goes on TV and acts like that. So what were you going to say about it? I'm just going to say that the stance that they're taking to like, wait, so he thinks that Alec Baldwin should be, have some sort of responsibility. He thinks that he should take the brunt of the responsibility. I think he should have some sort of responsibility. Well, he should have checked the gun. However, according to this, you know, we haven't no we don't know exactly what happened, but according to the thing, they you know they called cold gun out, which means there's no bullets in there. Which, but but most people, but like if you listen to like Clooney talk about it, he says he's never heard that term in his entire career. Yeah, but that's just okay. just a guy who's been in like movies for forty years. Yeah, it's just so, George Clooney. So is Al Baldwin. Yeah. But I mean, he. But Al Ball is not the one that called it out. The AD is. All right. Anyway, continue. No, I mean, he just he said he's never checked the gun before. Like he just. It's true that there's steps that lead to giving the actor or something. But every time I've been on set and there's been a gun thing, the AD like has a safety meeting and they actually show the gun. They're like right. They hold it up and they go, there's nothing in here. And they open it and they, they click it and then they go about their business. So I don't really know exactly what happened on the set other than what we're hearing. And we're hearing a lot of different things. But Well, he, he told me some things I could probably tell you. Like he said from what he's heard from the – again, he knows, he knows the guy that provided the ammo because that guy's getting a lot of stuff. And he goes, that guy's kind of shady. They got raided. He's cer- huh? They got raided. But he's yeah. like, he's not, what, why would he, like, what incentive does he have to give him live ammo? You know, he's like, you yeah, know, it's just not. The, uh, so that's the stance that, because um, the dad of the prop master was on the. That was going to be my next point. Okay, go ahead. Who was, who was like, I guess, the guy who taught her the business. And uh, their lawyer was there talking about it. And they're taking the stance that it was sabotage. 
And they're like, this is a hard line that they're taking that someone deliberately put. And I was yeah. like, why would anyone do that? It makes no sense. I mean, he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like a legend in this business for that stuff. But he's just trying to protect, right? Like, he's probably just trying to protect his daughter. But it's bad because you're right. That's that's not what happened. And yeah. <laughs> definitely, I mean, I don't want to say definitely because I don't know. But there's a pretty high probability that it was not sabotage. It was just like dumb people and it was an accident. Like, you know, like I've been on shows where like we had to go to a prison, you know, and uh, like our camera guy had like live ammunition in his backpack and wasn't allowed to go in. So yeah, delegated to the truck. And, uh, so people are just fucking idiots. They bring shit. No one knows what everyone has in their kits and stuff. And somehow something landed in the wrong place and it was a horrible accident. But obviously someone's responsible for bringing the live ammo. It's just like, I don't think it was a deliberate, like, okay, let's put it into this gun. It just happened to get mixed in with everything and then got, because people are careless and not paying attention. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, the shit happened. Well, so that's her other defense. So apparently her father is an armorer, but he doesn't, yeah. he does different, he uses different kind of guns than these. Like he wouldn't be hired for this because he doesn't. Um, but going back to that. So the thing about her from everything that I've been learned, like that I've learned, you know, is that, so she was on TikTok making videos about like shooting and stuff. She's young, you know, she's 24. She wants to be one of the guys. So this whole thing about them going off and shooting, um, I think there's some real like legitimacy to this because I think she was trying to, you know, um, impress everybody and go and, and do that kind of stuff. And then apparently, yeah, I'm sure being a young woman and the uh, yeah, absolutely 24 year old woman like being in charge of weaponry on a set is, uh, you know, people look at you like differently. And she's probably, you know, tried to overcompensate by doing some things, but we'll find out in the trial. Uh, apparently, she was when they needed to, when they needed the gun. She wasn't. She wasn't there. She was doing something else, and so the AD grabbed the gun from her. It was not locked up. It was laying out. The AD grabbed the gun and brought it over, and handed it to Alec Baldwin. Um, which is both the ADs doing something wrong because then he's not doing the proper thing. Yeah. And so this guy was like, you know, my, there's an armor was like, listen, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm a big gun guy. I got a lot of guns, whatever. He's like, there will never be anyone that dies by my gun, you know, because with me, my, my kids, no one like we will never, because there's, we treat it like it's a, so I, cause I said to him, I said, let me play devil's advocate. Right. I'm like, you do stunt driving. I was, you know, I was driving on a job four days ago where I have to drive forward and then we cut and then I, I reverse, you know, and they just want you to do it fast. You're reversing like 25, 30 miles an hour. That's not something you're supposed to do, but I know I can do it cause it's a closed street. Right. Now what happens if the person who's in charge of closing the street doesn't close the street and I hit somebody, is that my fault? That's what I said to him. And he said, no, unless you were drunk. And he said, but the difference is 
when you have a gun on set, it it's it is now considered like holding a gun is considered like an extension of you. Like it is, it's it's not uh, um, a vehicle is not considered a weapon. Having a weapon on set needs to be treated like there is a weapon on. Like it is the you know. Um, so any person that has who who has it has to treat it with that care. They shouldn't be able shouldn't be allowed to touch it, including the actor. Now I can say this: when I, I've done stuff where I had to hold a gun before, and the first thing they, I mean, the, all the rules they teach you. The first rule they teach is you don't point it at anybody. It's the camera's job to move. If you if you're in a scene where you're both pointing a gun at each other, it is the camera's job to be in the right place so that you're actually pointing off over each other's shoulders and not at each other because it's that serious. Even with like a rubber gun. Even with a rubber gun. In the interview, and I'm sure there's going to be people that corroborate this, like they were setting up the shot of him shooting into the camera. Right. So she like positioned the gun specifically at an angle so that she could see the gun and that is how he shot it where he like cocked the hammer and when he put the hammer back it like misfired he said he never well yeah he said it went off right but he didn't he he put the gun exactly where the camera or the dp told her told him about the gun so it's like right what are you gonna do no i i i think there's there's fault in everybody right there's i mean ultimately i think we all know it's probably the producer's fault because they're cutting, because here's the deal: they're cutting costs, but and, they'll never get in trouble. What's that? And the armor. Well, I see. I say it's it's the producer. I mean, yes, it's well, it's every person's fault. It's every it's Alec Baldwin's fault. It's the AD's fault. It's the armor's fault. It's the producer's fault. Well, Ultimately, it's a it's a producer's fault though for putting everybody in that situation by cutting costs. You know, by you know. They're following the the right rules, um, you know. Like they're following the right rules. They're getting I mean, you know, they these were, people. They shot a, a low budget movie. It's I'm sure they didn't cut costs. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But when you hire 24 year old armor who's only done this one other time to to deal with like real, I mean, this is the thing Clooney was saying. He's like. Why the fuck do you need that shot? Like, who's watching this movie? Like, no offense. Like, is it like I get it's your art, but like, well, the prop real ma- guns. The prop master usually hires the armor, and you just, as production, like, act like, all right. Well, the prop master uh, has used this person before, and like, you know, it's vouching for this person. So, yeah, but you know. you yeah, know. but but okay, but you can't. This is the point that this that this guy was trying to make to me is that you you know and he wasn't saying it's producer's fault. I'm saying it's producer's fault. But like, the gun is when you shoot a movie with guns, the gun becomes the most important thing of every scene, and you have to treat it as such. And so, if you have an inexperienced person doing it, like, you can't, you can't. Like, and I know they're not kind of they're like they 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 did everything by the book, so they're going to be able to get away with whatever happened. But ultimately, they overlooked something that was way too important by putting someone in charge of it who shouldn't have been. And they put every, they jeopardized everybody's safety by doing so. 
especially when like days before you have crew members walking off saying that this is a dangerous set. Now there's other reasons they said that as well, right? Like, um, it's just a bad situation. You know, I don't know. I find it all very fascinating because I know both you and I are trying to, you know, make, make, get into the world of making movies. And this is where we're going to probably spend most of our time in this world of lower budget trying to do stuff. So to me, it's like amazing, like learning, it's like going to school to listen to all this, like learn. So I, I appreciate that it for that, but you know, he, he's a hard guy to defend when he goes on TV and he's a jackass. Like he just was. Who? Alec Baldwin. Why was he a jackass? Well, I don't think you should go on TV and say it. I, I feel no remorse because it's not my fault. Oh, I don't, he never said he didn't have remorse. Yes, he did. He started because he said, if I had remorse, I'd, I'd probably want to die. If I felt it was my fault in any way, I, I couldn't live with that. And then on top of it, well, maybe now they're saying the wrong thing because he said he does feel responsibility and he like all he sees in his dreams and, and like his memories are like him pulling the trigger and her going down and stuff. I believe I still have this article open um, in the New York Times. Um, I don't remember him saying that. So, um, you know, he told about how like he had to meet with the husband and, you know, like how horrible he felt. And then the, the husband like assured him that it was okay. And like all this shit. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, uh, no, I, I read, Okay. Well, I read transcripts where he's, I mean, he did, he said that, and then he said that it went off without him pulling the trigger, which I think is probably not true. Because from what this guy with armor was telling me, he's like, you're going to find out he, he was twirling the gun. Now he was doing it not because he's a show off. He's doing it because he probably has to do it in the scene. You know what I mean? It's like, but that is how you get the, get it to go up and then recoil, you know, to do the thing. So you're, spinning it you know what i mean and that's regardless somebody i don't know it's just stupid did you hear the clooney interview about it on mark Barron? they had a clip of it on the uh on the on the interview yeah saying that every time i've ever gotten a weapon i've always opened it that's the quote well he also i mean what clooney was he was just saying like he's like to me it sounds like they got their scapegoat in the first ad but it's really it's really the production's fault and he i guess clooney was really good friends with brandon lee like he was going to be in brandon lee's wedding like they're really close so when he died you know so he's like really into this shit um isn't yeah you should definitely listen to him talk about it because it was really interesting he's like you know he, he and he blamed the alcohol he's like the Look, I don't know what the, what happened. I'm, you know, I don't know Alec that well, but I know that you're the first thing is you're not supposed to be pointing that near anybody. So, again, I think everybody has a little bit of fault in it, and I, I mean, I know people are saying, oh, well, he definitely has fault because he's the producer. But if you know anything, like he's not making decisions probably on the film. It's 
Yeah, he's just the financing producer and the casting and, like, there's creative producers and then there's the everyday producers that actually make the movie. And he is not the one that makes the movie. I mean, he showed up a week... They were already shooting when he showed up. He showed up a week into them shooting. Oh, okay. Like, two days after he got there, it happened. Uh, Well, it... It's interesting because my I before all this I when we first started talking about this I thought there's no way he's at fault because if you leave an actor in charge of safety uh, before you do anything then the whole world's going to blow up because they're a bunch of idiots. Yeah. So I don't like to say that, but it, I this guy talking to him yesterday I thought it was a really important point to say that when a weapon comes so he was saying he's like I've been an armorer for like Sylvester Stallone before in a movie. And he said, no one ever touches, he's like, they're like, cause someone said, it doesn't, isn't it that no one ever touches the gun except the armor? He goes, in most cases, but there's times when it doesn't and you have to have the ID. He's like, so Stallone, you do a movie with Stallone. He doesn't want anybody to look at him, talk to him, anybody, but like the ADs and the director. Those are the only people he's going to respond to. So in that case, if I'm like, no, I can't give this to you. The AD will say, okay, well then, fuck, fuck off, you're fired. Because yeah. Stallone doesn't want to talk to you, we'll get someone who will. So then I have to like just explain how important, you know, like da-da-da. So he said he worked on Destroyer, the movie with Nicole Kidman. Same sort of thing where the, the AD came over, though, and was like, listen, I know the rules and I know that this is, but I, don't, I want to be in charge of safety of everything. So everything comes through me. And she's like, it, it begins and ends with me, the AD was saying. And he said it was really good. She came over and she was like, and she took it ex- you know, extremely seriously. was like every time this, da, 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 da. And that's the case that you want, like an AD who's going to do that. Obviously, this guy doesn't do that. I mean, I guess we have our first subject we're going to talk about here. I didn't, I didn't anticipate Rust. <laughs> but it's interesting. I mean, I, I just, I find the whole thing so... Yeah, I'm oh, uh, interesting. It's gonna be uh, an interesting trial. All right. So, what? Do you have any notes? Uh, no, because I don't even have any. If I had a note, it'd be a subject. Uh, um, I don't have any notes other than the fact that I finally finished after over a week the Beatles documentary that we mentioned. Oh, yesterday, okay. Last week. So let's talk about that. That'll be our second subject. I did not finish it, but. I don't care because I I will it will take me a long time to get to the end of this thing. But. It's like reading a book. Yeah. Oh, I I finished some books, baby. I'm doing good. <laughs> I just got the uh, the Mel Brooks book. Oh, cool. So I started reading it. Um, he's such a funny guy, just the way he like talks. Uh, but anyway, the Beatles doc. I, at first I was like, this isn't even a documentary. They're just like sitting in a, like the first episode is all them just sitting in a soundstage, like just talking and like doing it. I'm like, this is so weird. It's not even like a documentary. It's just like, just filming people sitting around talking, like not even, I know it sounds weird to say that, but it just didn't feel like a movie. And then, um, Halfway through that first episode, I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. And then I just got so into it. And uh, 
now I think it's probably the best thing that's come out all year. And for it not to be, it has to be in the discussion for best documentaries of all time. Okay. Wow. All right. There are so many, like, I don't know how far you into this, you, you were into it, but there are just like so many like fascinating things just like them like going through like when George quit. So George yeah. quit. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. And then they don't know if they're going to bring, they go to his house and they have this conversation at the house. And then we get like, we, we're not allowed to like, they didn't film it, but they talk about like what happened there and how like John Lennon, like Yoko Ono for some reason was invited and so she was like talking for John and John didn't say anything. And then there was like a whole meeting in a cafeteria that was that they secretly put a recording device in the uh, centerpiece so that they could uh, capture like their conversation about what they're going to do, which about George and like finishing the documentary. And there was just so many like amazing things just watching them like get together and figure out the songwriting process is probably one of the most of all these iconic songs was just like an amazing thing. I don't know. This, I think you mentioned that last week, just like how they would start and stop and start and stop. And then you're just like, Oh, I want to hear the whole thing, but just watching the whole friggin' uh, process was just, was so awesome. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it is a all, and it's a tough watch. Yeah, yeah, but yet you think it's the best documentary of all time. Um, I do. Uh, <laughs> but it took me like over a week to finish. Like that, yeah, I know. I'm with you. I, I got you. No, I make. I mean, it does somewhat make sense. Um, some guy on Twitter. I was reading last night. I haven't fully gotten into it, but some guy on Twitter. Um, started trying to cut up, make the movie with like talking heads on the side where it'd be like interviews with current musicians, like Dave Grohl going like the Beatles were a big influence on Nirvana, you know, like in our songwriting and like adding that into like the footage to like show like how yeah you could totally ruin it by making it like a movie, like that way, like, every other music documentary, yeah. which I wanted to say to you off when we were doing pre-production because you were talking about the music box documentaries aren't good. Yeah, I've seen all of them. And I saw, the, see- I saw the TMX one, I saw the Kenny G one, and they're terrible. They're both. What about, did you see Mr. Saturday Night last night? No, I didn't see that one. Okay. Um, Mr. Yeah, I, uh, huh? What's Mr. Saturday Night about? Uh, it's about the guy that um, uh, greenlit Saturday Night Fever and he was the first person to put like soundtracks with like to dual soundtrack and movie to like make a bunch of money. Ah, okay. It's like that whole thing. Um, so I, um, you know, I know I've read, <laughs> I've probably spent, I should have just spent the time I spent reading and listening to people talk about this, actually watching it myself. Cause I have not finished it, but I've, I've like listened to 
podcast people talking about it. I've I thought Howard Stern talked about it. I thought his stuff was great when he was talking about it. I'll probably quote that a couple of times as we talk about this. Um, and like yesterday, I was talking to my friends who are musicians about, like some friends I have who are musicians. And like musician friends, like specifically, like really love it. And it's so funny because they all start off the same thing and they're like, it's just so like They all like, not that we're comparing ourselves to the Beatles, but it's all so familiar, like that whole process, like every band does that. So to see like the greatest band ever, like doing that is like, you know, it's like. Yeah, I think that's what the, the draw is. Cause you yeah. know, you're like, why haven't we seen this footage? I know we saw the footage of the actual concert on the roof, but like, why haven't we seen any of this in so long? Like, where's this shit? Like, why is it taking so long to come out? You're just like, wow, just like, it, it was definitely fascinating. It kept your, uh, you were just like, holy shit. Like just hearing like John and John um, Lennon and Paul McCartney, like just like going together or trying to figure out like where like the lyrics and, and just going back and forth on how like the song should go is just like, you could watch that all day. Yeah, they have like a real speakeasy. It's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. Like, they just they can they can just it, it, and they enjoy it. So, I was going to ask. All right, I'm just going to ask you some questions about this. Uh, so, what like what surprised you the most? And I, I'll tell you what surprised me the most, I guess, about it. Well, like, are, oh wait, are you a big Beatles fan? Yeah, I'm a big Beatles fan. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. So, things that may be surprising to me may not be to to you. Oh, look at that. Um, oh, look at you. I just decided to come in and outside and um, showcase my Beatles t-shirt. She hasn't seen a second of it. I haven't seen a Big fan. Big fan you over here in the t-shirt. Like, um, so the one thing that, like, made me so annoyed was the whole Yoko Ono. How he, she's always sitting right, like, literally right on top of him. She's talking for him. But then there was like a whole thing where like, wait, let can we stop with that? Just talk about that for a second because I'm yeah. with you. Uh, yeah, I have something to do with it. Okay, so, go ahead. And then Paul McCartney, when John wasn't there, they were talking about you know why if Yoko Ono is like a big problem, like what they should do. And he goes, he's like, they're young lovers. They're like so in love with each other. If we gave them an ultimatum, like John would pick her over the band. Yeah, yeah. Say you can either do this with the band or like you know, you know, be with Yoko. He would go with the Yoko. The thing that I don't get about it is, so they it just annoy, it it, yeah, it wouldn't annoy me as a band as much as it would annoy me if I was John. Like, I don't want anybody hanging out with me that much. Yeah, I don't even like Apparently want my dog did. around me that much. Apparently, he did because they were just like attached. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, so the thing that surprised, I'll tell you the thing that surprised, I know that's not what you were saying, but the thing that surprised me the most was John Lennon. So as a non Beatle fan, I always thought of him as like this douche. Like I, I got that he was like a great songwriter, but I just kind of thought he was this guy, like this super serious, um, this guy I just didn't like, you know, like his whole aura bugged me. Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought he was, um. 
I don't know, like that he took himself so seriously. And when you watch this, I just, I was like shocked that he's like really funny and charismatic and like, you know, like when he's into it, he's like, I mean, I only thought of him as the guy that doesn't show up or shows up late or quit if he doesn't, you know, I mean, that's how I always thought of him. I didn't think of the other half of him where it's like, yeah, this is cool. Like, you know, like him singing all their songs and other voices and yeah. that kind of shit where he's so, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, I was listening to some people talk about it. I was listening to Klosterman talk about it. They're like, it's really interesting to me that that's just John Lennon being John Lennon. Like, he's just going to be, if he catch, remembers that there's a camera on him, he's just going to get annoyed. Whereas McCartney is so, you can tell McCartney knows he's being filmed. Yeah. Because he, he'll say these things that you would never say in normal conversation. You know? And you could also tell the frustration with uh, George. Well, the, yeah. one, the one thing that was weird, too, is like, George was like, all right, I'm done with the band. And like, they didn't even seem like that pissed off. They were like, that's the whole thing. It. And that's the thing we'll I asked. Barrett, like, they're like, we'll just call it Barrett Clapton and he'll finish. Yeah. So that's the thing is, I was asking my friend yesterday in the band, I was like, it was so weird to me that all of it, everything that led up to him leaving and him leaving, it was all understated. It was never like, like if I was going to quit this podcast, I'd go out yelling and screaming and letting everybody, you know, like blah, blah, you know, like I'd put on a show about it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, all right, then I'll see you around the pubs. <laughs> And just gets up and leaves. And, and I didn't even realize it was boiling like that because everybody's like, like when McCartney's putting him in his place and saying, no, no, you should just play this or we don't want to play that song. Uh, it's, it's not showy. It's just very matter of fact. Like that's just how they talk. It's, anyway. There yeah. was like a whole another interesting thing where like, speaking of George. So after he comes back, I think in like the third episode it was kind of towards the end of them being a band. Uh, there was like a break and it was only John Lennon and George like in the studio together. And George was talking about how he had all these songs. He's like, I have so many songs that were never do. Like I want to do like solo stuff. And just, they started talking about going on their own. And it was just kind of like a prelude or, or, or pre not prelude foreshadowing kind of like the breakup and then George Harrison making his own record and all those awesome songs on his first record going with the Wilburys and all that shit um, but yeah that was, that was a really interesting uh, talk John didn't say he was he, you know he was like just very supportive of George going and like do all of his songs I think George wanted was saying this to like try to get John Lennon to come with him, but he didn't come out and say it exactly. You know, he's like, I have so many songs. Like, I want doesn't doesn't Lennon play on that album? I know Ringo Starr plays drums on that album. Yeah, I'm sure they all like, you know, come on for a song or two. So it was interesting because I was listening to some people argue about it because, you know, everyone's like this 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 like kills the myth that Yoko broke up the Beatles and all that. And 
it's funny because you can see, you know, the first person to leave the Beatles was Paul McCartney, right? So what's interesting is when you watch this film, he is so desperate to keep them together that he'll do anything, right? Like this is him. He's like taking control and he's like, I got to, you know, and yet when this is all over, he's the one that leaves the band, announces it. And I was listening, I think it was close to him was saying that he thinks that's why Lennon wound up hating McCartney so much after the fact, because it was like such a bullshit move for him to be like, all right, I'm leaving the Beatles. When the whole time he was the one trying to keep it together. And then he's like, I'll just get ahead of everybody else so that I can sell more records with wings. You know, if I say that I'm leaving first. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all fast. It really is fascinating. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, but I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big Beatles guy. So more than what enjoying watching it, I enjoy listening to people who really like the Beatles talk about it. Cause I feel like I learned more that way. And one of the best things too is, did you see when the keyboardist guy came in? No, but I've heard that that's, uh, Billy Graham, when he comes in, it's like, is it Billy, or Billy Porter? Yeah, Porter. Billy Porter comes in because he like is visiting them. He was like in the UK. He's like, hey, you know, like they met when he was with touring with Little Richard, and uh, he comes in and they're like, hey, so you know, we need to we need a keyboardist on this. You want to like play and be on the album? And the guy was just like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this is like the biggest dream ever, you know. And then he starts playing with them, and they're just, like, so happy because they've been playing with each other for so long, and it was getting kind of, like, monotonous that he kind of, like, added this, like, spark or a new a new thing to get them all excited. I mean, they even say, like, you know, John Lennon was like, thanks so much for playing, you know, because you really, like got us energized and like back in it again and stuff. Yeah. You know, that was cool. And then um, <laughs> at one point they were like, they're like, Hey, we never even asked you if you're okay with this. Like you're coming in here every day. I mean, you're going to get paid, but we, you haven't asked for any money yet. And like all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And that guy like walks around with a cigarette everywhere, which was so hard to see too. Like, Everywhere well, he like has the cigarette and he's just blowing it in the Beatles' faces. I'm like, dude, you're gonna get them set. Yeah, but they're all smoking the whole time yeah. too. Everybody's smoking the whole time. But I think I think Stern put it best when he said, "This is an important document more than anything else. It's like if you could have, if you That's could watch true. two weeks, if you could watch two weeks of like Da Vinci painting, like." to understand like his creative and how he got there, that this is basically the same thing. Like this is the songwriter's version of that. Like these are the greatest songwriters ever made. And you're watching them write their songs and like, and how it like do it, go through it. And it's like, so even if you're not a Beatles fan as a creative person, this is something you should watch. That's, that's kind of the way that it's, that it's been, I, I thought was the best way to talk about it. Yeah. So, um, 
but I'm glad you finished it. I mean, it's good. Uh, it's cool. From, from an amazing film to a maybe amazing film, Home Sweet Home Alone. The reboot, it's got to be one of the worst transitions of all time. The reboot of uh, Home Alone for uh, Disney, I guess. Was it on Disney? It was on Disney Plus. Okay. It's on Disney. It stars the kid from Jojo Rabbit. I don't know. but And then Rob Delaney, who's hilarious. In Catastrophe and Ellie Kemper, they're like now the de facto bandits who are not really bandits that we'll get to. Um, and, uh, yeah, the same sort of, uh, things occur, you know, like he gets left home alone and then has to defend the house or so he thinks, uh, against intruders. So, uh, what are your thoughts on home sweet home alone? So this is like, yeah, this is the one thing I actually got to watch in the last two weeks. Lucky me. Um, I was watching. I was I listening gave you this to. Assignment, or did you watch it before? No, you gave me this assignment. <laughs> okay, just it's not even that. But no, it, but it wasn't even that. Like I wouldn't. I would have ignored this assignment. But we were sitting around, and I I've been really wanting to watch like a Power of the. Do- no, I want to watch like Power of the Dog or like you know. I watched the Power of the Dog. Is it good? It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have a feeling. So, like, I want to watch, like, movies like that and shit. And I'm, and, and then uh, Andre's like, no, I want to watch a Christmas movie. And I'm like, ah. I start going to our Christmas movies that we've seen, you know. Yeah, yeah the same thing here. All right. Well, so I was like, all right. G asked me to watch Home Sweet Home Alone again. That's a Christmas movie. Let's go. <laughs> so I put it on in about 45 minutes into it. I'm like. What is the Rotten Tomatoes score in this thing? And it's like 12. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, audience 12. It's not even just like critics. It's yeah. like audience. I think the critics were like a 16 and the audience is like a 12. Um, and then I was like listening to some, you know, I've been driving a lot. So I've been listening to podcasts and I listen, I start listening to everybody's top, te- like everybody talking about the movies, like movie things where they're reviewing stuff. And I'm just so jealous of people who are like, Oh, you need to see Drive My Car. It's this Japanese, I like... I want to see that. I heard everyone saying it's the best movie of the year. And then it's like, oh, you should see this Mexican movie called uh, A Cop Movie, or you should see Power of the Dog, or you should see... And I'm just so jealous that I get to listen <laughs> to other people talk about movies like that. And, like, the last two movies I, I had to watch were this and Red Notice. And I'm like, this has to stop at some point. This, this has to podcast. stop. This has to stop. Well, we have to change formats. <laughs> First of all, Red Notice could have been a, like, without knowing anything about it and with all the star power, you thought that that would be a pretty decent movie. No, it. I did not think it was going to be a decent I knew it was not going to be a decent movie. Okay. Anyway, so back to Home Alone. So you're 20 minutes in or 45 minutes in. Well, let's just say this. There's no bad guys in the movie. That's a problem. Yeah. And it seems like they're making up the story as they go along. It, yeah, it kind of does. Uh, 
basically, let's just, you know, I don't, basically, the kid gets left home alone. He's a little shit. He's, like, not even likable. And let me just say, before we get into the, the premise of Home Alone, with being left at home, this annoyed me in the first movie and this movie, which you have to go, you have to go with it for what it is. But my biggest flaw of those movies, like, you have no one friends or anyone in town that you can call that can go see if your kid is okay at the house. Yeah, it's a good point. Even the neighbors. Like, I think at one point, like, they said, oh, we just moved here. We don't know any of the neighbors. Yeah, so they tried, they, yeah, they tried to cover tried that up. Cover that up, but it's like, there's got to be someone that you know in town. The kids go to school there. I'm sure they go to school with some families. They're in PTA. I'm sure there's a, a nice neighbor or friend from school that could go check on your kid. Yeah, and that's I, a good point. Then it wouldn't be a movie. That's not such a bad thing. Then they, they bring in random cameo of uh, Chris Parnell, who's in for one scene. I don't know why he's there. I don't know why uh, he's there. I don't know why. I was so shocked when they were at the end and the family was there and the father wasn't Pete Holmes. That, like, really bothered me. Well, that was in the beginning, too. He was in the beginning. No, but he's not at the end. He's not the father. He's like some uncle. He's in that one scene in the driveway, and then he's gone. He's not the father. He's like, at the end, the father is... Who's the guy that plays the father? Um, he's in like a million movies. I didn't even reckon, realize that. Yeah. Uh, Pete Holmes, I guess, was an uncle. But you would never know because he's the father. I, I got, what is his name? I'm going to have to look it up. But um, so, but, but regardless, like that's, I mean, that's like a million, like on the problem scale list. Like that's not even close to the yeah. biggest problem. Um, well, first, you know, the, the cop is, I don't, know, I, I don't know. The cop is Buzz from uh, the first movie, the brother, the older brother. Yeah, so you start thinking like, oh, well, maybe um, maybe then uh, there'll be other camp. Like Audrey goes, do you think that Macaulay Culkin's giving this? I was like, what do you think? Anyway. Yeah. Um, God, I'm trying to find the name of the dad, the guy who plays the dad. Um. <clears throat> must be at the bottom since he only shows up at the end well anyway he uh so basically the whole story of the stupid movie is that they're they're gonna have to leave their house the couple ellie kemper and uh rob delancey Delaney. and delaney and uh he's got this doll that's worth two hundred thousand dollars but they never thought of using that to pay for their house so he well, thinks that they didn't know did. that the doll was worth that much. Uh, well, until they went online and saw, because the woman at the open house was like, "These dolls are worth like a lot of money." So like that night, he went online and he was looking online, and then all of a sudden, he said that there was like a a doll that was like manufactured wrong that had an imperfect thing. And there were only a few made that it was worth like $200,000. But it's only worth okay. $200,000 to someone that's going to buy it. But you have to go with it. 
Yeah, all right, fine. The name of the dad is Andy Daly, but I, I couldn't tell you to, how to describe him. He's in like he was in an upright citizens brigade. Um anyway, so this so then the, the stupid kid gets left home alone. He has no cell phone because they, they didn't want their kids to have a cell phone. So she has no way to get in touch with them. They don't have a landline. That all covers, that all checks out. But these people think that he stole their doll. So they're trying to break into the house to get the doll back, basically. Yeah. So no one's a bad guy. Everyone's just trying to do their best. Yeah. Uh, tough, tough to get behind. So yeah, then the policeman well, shows up. He goes over there to talk to them, but there's such craziness going on with Christmas that no one's going to, they think he's the, uh, the driver and, uh, right. Treat him like a valet and don't have time to like talk to him about it. I mean, we really don't have to get into the nuances. I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to get through it. Um, and then basically it's 40 minutes of, these people trying to get in the house, but it's not like home alone where there's the cool gadgets and shit. There's like one or two of those. Like that's one of the things that made home alone. Cool. Is he set up, used all these toys we grew up with and used them, all these things in our practical life and used them as like gadgets to stop these people. And a lot of the stuff was the same, like the icing, of right. the, the, the walkways and, you know, like the, Stepping on the Legos is kind of like when he put all all the ornaments. Well, uh, fun yeah. fun fact: when we worked on the movie The Holiday together, we became very good friends with the set designer. And as a wrap gift, he gave us uh, the blueprint, or gave you gave the blue. I thought he gave me the. Oh, so he gave you. I have the. Oh abyss. yeah, he gave you the abyss. He gave me that the Home Alone house. With all of the rooms with like all the gadgets in it. Do you still have it? Because that's probably worth some cash. I was going to ask if you had it, to be honest. I do have it. Well, you probably have mine then. No, I only have mine. I only have the Abyss. I don't know where it could be. You took you took yours and I took mine. It's got to be in my storage then. Yeah, all right. That thing's probably worth some cash. And so is the abyss thing, but we'll see. Well, Home Alone's a little bigger than the abyss. Yeah, but also, I'm not going to sell it. It was a nice gift. I know Man, he's a good saying, guy. I'm just saying it's worth some money. I have uh, James Cameron director like approved director's plans. So even though it's just the abyss, it still has James Cameron's signature on it. Whatever. All right. Well, we're not going to put our kids through college with that. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, I forgot that that was mine. I was thinking that was yours the whole time. Interesting. So, so yeah, our, the art director like worked on the first Home Alone and had original blueprints and gave Scott the the blueprints. Yeah, uh, I gotta go find. I'm actually going to storage today, so I should probably look for that. Yeah. Um. All right, but back to this. Um. So essentially, this becomes forty minutes of these this couple trying to break into this house under the assumption he has a stolen doll. And it finally comes out that he doesn't have it, which you probably knew the entire time. And yeah, they kept showing this little kid uh, or one of the brothers, like 
is very uh, a klepto. And so, like, they kept saying, hey, you know, he's stealing this, he's stealing that. So you're just like, all right, we know what's going to happen here. Yeah, the other family that's visiting them that has nothing to do with really anything other than to put that kid there. Um, God, this is such a horrible movie. It's even horrible to explain it. Um, And so basically after 40 minutes of trying to break in this kid's house, they finally get in and they're, like, squaring off. And he's like, I don't have your doll. And they're like, oh, Sorry, where are your parents? Oh, they left me here. Oh, why don't you just come live with us for a little bit? You're going to be in trouble when they see this mess. It's like, is he? You, you, you guys kind of tried to break in for an hour, like for like three days straight, and he was just protecting, you know, like yeah. at some point, like there's just no accountability. Then, then his parents, his mom shows up at their mom, house and everything's good. They did say that they used some of the money to pay for the broken ceiling. Yeah, but I mean, yes, come on. There's no account. There's no accountability. I know. Like, if some strangers were trying to break into your house because they thought your kid stole something, like you could sue the shit off, pants off them. You know, like I know they don't have any friends. They needed friends in the neighborhood. <laughs> so dumb. Uh. Oh uh, so yeah. So there we go. So Ellie Kemper and uh, I'm gonna say that they had some funny moments. I will disagree with that a million percent, but Audrey might agree with you. There was this one scene where they were on, they almost fell into a pool and they were on the tarp. And Ellie Kemper told Rob Delaney to swim towards her. Thought that was funny. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought physically, like physical comedy stuff was, there were some funny things, but. It was a terrible movie. Like, even when the cop got involved and, like, they started trying to, like, make up a story, like, a cop would know that that story was bullshit. Right. You know, and then and then the there was a point where the police station actually calls him and tells him to go check on it, and he's like, dude, it's fine. I was just over there. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I don't know. I know it was Buzz, and they were trying to be like, he, he's an idiot, but um, he didn't really add anything to the story. Yeah. Like, he could have been the one that, like, figured out what they were doing, and he was he'd be about to arrest them, and then kind of, like, say, oh, I remember when Mike... Yeah, exactly. You know, or my brother was lost. God forbid you use opportunity. But uh, but they literally like made up that it felt like they made up the story as they went along. Like adding, True. you know, like little dialogue pieces here and there to kind of explain things that I guess like it's almost as though someone on the set was like, I don't get it. Like Tom Hanks and Big where, you know, the guy raises, I don't get it. Uh, yeah. And someone has to like go, oh, I guess we'll just add a line that they did this and this and they'll cover it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, was, it didn't make any sense that they... I don't know. It, it was a terrible movie. It's Yeah, it's just an awful movie. But it was 
they went out of their way to make this super Christmassy. Like the whole neighborhood was like Christmased up and they really wanted you to believe that it was like a happy Christmas town. Even though everybody supposedly was out of town. Um, and they couldn't help. But yeah, it was a bad movie. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. All right. Well, uh, All right. What, what's going on with our picks? Well, that's what I'm looking at right now. And what, what were my, I was trying to figure out what the picks I had last week. I know. I, you know, I didn't add it up. I was just going over. This is bizarre. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the wrong week here. Let me see. Um, so last week, um, you went one and two and I went one and two. So now that puts me at 18, 20 and one. And it puts you at 16, 21 and two. All right. Well, we are, we are really lighting it on fire. Well, this is the week I got three right now. Look, man, I was just looking up. I was just looking up this stuff. And I guess I'm lo- I'm looking up the wrong week. That's why I was like, "What is what is going on?" Like, because I you know I did my picks for our pick'em pool, and I'm like, "Why are my lines so far off?" Um, and then I was like, "There's going to be games on Saturday, but it's next week's games. It's week 15." So, um, all right. So, what uh, do you have your picks, or do you need a sec? I do. Um, I do. I just got to uh, find what the line is at now. I'm allowed to use you know? the Thursday night game since it's Thursday? It's Thursday. You can use the Thursday night game if, if you need to. Uh, so I will, jump on it. I will not be using it. The first. Oh, well, why would you ever bet this game? Like, who would you bet on? Like, is there any two teams? First of all, let me ask you this. So what like, do you think of the Steelers would be the one I would take in this game tonight? I, I don't trust either of these teams at all. What what did you think of the Monday night game? Um, I thought – I was hoping for a lot more snow. Uh, but I thought that uh, Bills have some issues. They can't run the ball. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and if you're – they have good receivers and a good quarterback, but for some reason they can't get open. The receivers can't get open. I know it was hard to like throw, but it seemed like Josh Allen wasn't having that hard of a time throwing the ball in that game. So people were just like not getting open. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, but what did you think of the three pass game? Hey, if that's how you uh, can win the game, fine, go with it. I, I it. thought it was. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I'm not saying it was like the most fun thing to watch in the world, but it was awesome that he did that. And nothing's going to rally your team around, you know, around like that. Yeah. Um, like, think about like you just ran it, rammed it down their throats like that. Like that's pretty badass. Yeah. That just right. kind of shows, uh, you know, when it comes to cold weather, if they get you know, home field, 
uh, it's going to be tough to win there. Yeah. Because they can run the ball. Hey, let me ask you, are you getting more spam calls than ever right now? Yeah, I've been getting a lot. Like, it always happens, right, in December, right before the holidays? I feel like that happens. I, I just got, like, I, I, all day I just get, like, spam calls. And they always start by saying, hi, can you hear me okay? You know? Yeah. They want you to say yes, because that's they record that to use against you later. I haven't figured out how I want to approach this situation, because I kind of want to tell them off. But like, I'm afraid I'll say something that then they could use to record later. All right, you, you, have, you have to leave Zoom. So let's. Uh, All right. So what's your first pick? Taking the Packers at twelve and a half versus the Bears. I think the Packers always kill the Bears. They're in uh, Lambo on a Sunday night. Uh, I think Packers coming off a bye. It's they're going to crush them. Um. But, like, with that being said, you know, when, when your quarterback for the pack, when, when Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Omicron, comes out and says, I own you, doesn't – if that can't rally your team to at least make a game of this, like, what, what will, you know? That's my fear. What do you think with Mike McCarthy guaranteeing victory? I didn't know that. When did he, when did he do that? He guaranteed said we will win this weekend. He's like it's ruined my whole week. I didn't on, know he did that on the road, which is fine. And Washington's not great, but still. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, uh, all right, what's your first pick? I am taking the Cleveland Browns minus two and a half at home against Baltimore. See, my second pick is Baltimore. Nice. Um, well, here's what I think. I watch Baltimore. They suck. Uh, Lamar Lamar Jackson sucks most of the game, and then he winds up doing some awesome shit at the end. Um, Cleveland's in a must-win. They had a week off. Everybody's hurt in Baltimore. So I'm going with Cleveland. What's the reason for Baltimore? They haven't looked good. I think Lamar and uh, the coaching staff uh, could have won the last game, but they decided to go for it, which, hey, I like that they went for it. I want to talk about that, too, because that was awesome. It was awesome. I got into an argument with a friend of mine because we're Giants fans and we're, like, not – we're terrible. And my argument is, like, all right, you're out pretty much of the playoffs. You're not making the playoffs. You're a terrible team. You can't score points. Never punt or kick. You have more. If you go for it on fourth down every single time, the odds of you scoring more points than you score right now by settling for field goals are pretty good. Yeah, but – the chance of the team you're playing to score more points and solve for field goals is, is equally as good. And when it's you stink, they're just going to they're going to run up run up fifty fifty point claims on you. Great. No, not great. Giants. If you're, if, if, if you're the Giants, if you're the Giants, can you play from behind 
if you're down 20, can you ever play from behind? No. So don't. I think it's a silly idea. But I did like the two-point – I didn't like the call in this situation, though, and I'll tell you why. Because if you're Baltimore, you've got the best kicker in football maybe ever. You're playing against a team that is, like, really – I mean, they they play the best they're going to play. You know, they're tired. They're old. Like, their quarterback's old. Do you really expect them to come down and drive against you? Like, I didn't, I didn't think of my chances of overtime. That being said, I love the call in most any other case. And I, I think he made the right call because the play was there. They just didn't execute. It's a great play call. Like, everything about it was awesome. And I'm glad that they – but I don't know. But you're right. So they should have won that game. They also should have lost about three other games this year. They just keep pulling things out of their ass. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm not, like, in love with Cleveland. but So Baltimore's your second. I'll take – my second is – I'm taking Tennessee minus eight and a half uh, over Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville's crap, too. And the fact that um, – uh, Detroit won. I think Jacksonville sees the first pick in their sights again. And um, Tennessee's coming off a bye as well. Uh, I think they know they just got to take care of business for the next couple. They have like a really like hard schedule coming up, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. They should be getting Derrick Henry back at the end of the season. So um, I don't know. I'm taking them minus eight and a half. Okay. My. Uh... Next pick is the uh, Cincinnati. I don't know why I keep taking Cincinnati, but I'm taking Cincinnati plus one and a half at home versus the 49ers. I don't know. This last game, they had a bunch of turnovers. Um, Joe Burrow got beat up in the game, and uh, I just feel like they are going to come back. They have to win this game. They just have to. Uh, so it's only one and a half. And if you're in a must win, I feel like they have enough talent to win this game. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he takes it down each time. I mean, look, but I did, I have the same affliction. I take the chargers every week. It's like, they're the same team. I mean, remember we watched the chargers play Cincinnati and it was like, that score went up being like 38-35 and they just kept missing field goals or something at the end. It was like, yeah, that game was insane because they're kind of the same team. They both just do really dumb shit but can score a lot. So you're like, you keep getting addicted to them. But I'm not taking the Chargers. I'm taking a different AFC West team. I'm taking the Las Vegas Raiders plus nine and a half against Kansas City. And I'm doing this strictly because Kansas City can't cover. And so anything near 10 points um, I don't know. So, all I know is the Raiders need to get a, a wide receiver in the off season. Somebody that doesn't murder people. Oh yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah, they just uh, they need a deep threat guy. I mean, there's yeah. that if Rogers leaves that. Demonte Adams is going to go there, but we'll see what happens. Do you still want Russell Wilson? Yes. I think they should fucking give up all their draft picks and Daniel Jones. The two draft picks 
and Daniel Jones for Russell Wilson. Giants only have, with this new sketch, the new uh, salary cap, they only have um, like $3 million in the offseason. It's fucking ridiculous. Our, our, our front office is the worst. <laughs> they have no one on their team yet. They've overpaid for all these people, and now they don't have any, uh, they don't have any money. So they need to they need to make this move. It's like a must. Yeah. They got to get rid of. They got to have a veteran in there to like help these guys. I don't know. Well, it's it's like the Chris Paul effect. Let's go. Bring in some. Okay. The hell they're doing. It, it worked once. Now you think it's going to work with everything? <laughs> Uh, are we, we going to try to go to that game on Monday? I was looking at tickets. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Be, if we're going Sunday to this game, it's going to be tough to go right back out to another big event. You might have to wait. Agreed. Back. Until when? Until I get back from uh, vacation to go. Oh, they play again coming yeah. up? Yeah, I'm sure they'll right. be playing again. Um. Okay, good. Yeah, because I'm I'm kind of thinking the same thing, but che- tickets are cheap. Clippers tickets are cheap, man. Yeah. So, all right. Well, good luck this week. Um, I hope you do just a little worse than me, but I don't know if that's possible. All right. Enjoy your Christmas. Uh... <laughs> enjoy your Christmas uh, set up and uh, Christmas tree shopping, and uh, we'll talk next week. Oh yeah. So is is Hanukkah officially over? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I never wished you a happy Hanukkah, I don't think. Sorry, buddy. Thanks, bud. So, uh, belated happy Hanukkah to your, your family and everything. Everybody happy? Everyone have a good Hanukkah? Yeah, I think so. Um, except for they all got COVID, but that's fine. What? My niece and nephews got COVID. No. What's happening right now. Are they doing okay? Like, is yeah, it? Yeah, they're fine. Fucking kids are running around like nothing's going on. Yeah, that's kind of my, yeah. I think that that's kind of what, I mean, not that we want to get, not that we want to close this segment with pandemic talk, but uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what happens. I was like, I'm glad they got it out now because I'm coming there in like a few weeks. Oh, yeah. So if they're going to get it, this is a good time. Point. It's a good point. Uh, All right. right. We'll we'll see each other on the weekend. Yeah. All right.